Bitcoin's been around for how long now? It's been quite a while, right? We're like a more than a decade. Yeah, more than a decade. Since 2008, yeah. Okay, so since 2008, we've come pretty far. I mean, this is a real turning point where we've got, you know, BNY Mellon now going to you know, be a custodian for crypto. I think that this is like, to me, as, as an observer, the point where it has gone mainstream. Today is February 12th, 2021. Welcome to a special episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver, CPA, and I'm joined today for a special crypto update by Shihan Chandrasekhar, CPA, who is a CPA practice advisor, 40 under 40 honoree. You are also the head of tax strategy at Cointracker. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us, Blake. And we are joined by Dr. Sean Stein-Smith, CPA, Assistant Professor at Lehman College and founder at the Institute for Blockchain and Crypto Asset Research. Uh, You are both crypto experts. I think you are both writing for Forbes at the moment. So I read your articles and that's, that's how I stay up to date as an accountant in the space. Sean, I think it was you who reached out a few weeks ago and said, hey, let's, let's get together and let's do a podcast episode about this because it's time for an update. We haven't talked about this in a long time on the show and there's a, a ton going on, right? Yeah, all of 2020, but I'd say really some of the back half of 2020 and into and into 2021 has, has been a tremendous period of growth and innovation out there for the blockchain crypto asset area. Be it institutional buying, be it more complicated tax issues, which I'm sure my co-guest will be able to, uh, to answer and sort of hammer home. And then also sort of this this bigger picture view of Bitcoin and crypto, right? That's been moving from this you know, fringe asset, fringe uh, topic to really mainstream conversation, right? Wall Street, Main Street, central banks all over the world are now into crypto, into blockchain applications. And so now really in 2021, now it's part of a mainstream conversation. And now we are ready, I think, to move beyond just talking about blockchain and crypto assets and to really start to analyze some of the applications and the upsides and also some of the headwinds to actually having blockchain and different crypto assets into our everyday lives. So yeah, there's a ton happening. And to your point about crypto going mainstream as an asset, there was a a big story about how BNY Mellon, the nation's oldest bank, is going to now be a custodian of crypto assets for its asset management clients, uh, such as money managers. Mm -hmm. And so now there's this future potential situation we have where, I mean, we could have like retirement funds with a portion of cryptocurrency assets. I mean, is that where we're headed to, to, to the point where everybody's got a little bit of crypto? I would say so. Yes. Right. Because even, even back in 2018, 2019, there were large, Institutional players, Fidelity, Vanguard, BlackRock, Blackstone, all of them started to really advocate that on a institutional point of view, be it the pension funds, endowments, all all those big players should should allocate between one and I believe five percent of their total assets into crypto options. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean the the headlines by B and Y Mellon with with forty one point one trillion dollars in that asset under management branch. And then the move earlier by Tesla actually buying 
1.5 billion Bitcoin to have on its balance sheet are huge moves and huge updates. And to just add on to one more uh, item here, just this past week, the first North American crypto or Bitcoin ETF has been okayed uh, up in Canada. So it's a huge shift and a, and a huge trend. And to actually answer your, your uh, actual question there, yes, absolutely. We are, I believe, moving more and more toward the time where there are going to be Bitcoin crypto ETFs product services that are sort of just built in to any retirement wealth management plan. So you brought up Tesla. Tesla purchased 1.5. Had to. <laughs> you had to. Yes. They bought 1.5 billion in Bitcoin and it was one of the top mm-hmm. you know, financial news stories of the week. That was Elon Musk making that decision to buy all that uh, that Bitcoin. And he also said that Tesla will work on accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment for their vehicles. And I've been following Bitcoin and crypto for a long time now, and we don't seem to be very much closer to people actually using it as a method of payment, which ultimately needs to happen if the promise of crypto is going to come true and we're going to start using it instead of dollars or fiat currency. People need to be able to buy things with Bitcoin, right? At, the, at this point, it seems like most people are just buying some crypto as a speculative asset move. It's it's making me think of GameStop. It's making me think of <laughs> AMC. Uh, you know, it's it's the tulip craze of the 1600s, right? What what is the what is the underlying value of cryptocurrency if you can't actually use it for anything? And maybe that's a good one for Xi'an. Yeah, yeah. So I know, Blake, you're you're somewhat skeptical about Bitcoin, which is completely fine. We're CPAs. We got to be skeptical, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's good to have like those, you know, both sides. Um, yeah, I think Bitcoin, when it was invented, it was designed to be a medium of exchange, but now it's it's ninety nine point nine percent of the people are using it as a sort of value, and the the reasons. I mean, if you look at the price history of Bitcoin, like you you can just see why. Um, it has been uh, going up massively. It's uh, it's a deflationary asset, uh, you know, by design. So you could only have 21 million units of Bitcoin. Um, so unlike, you know, if you take U.S. dollars and you can pump it to the, you know, the economy whenever the government wants it. But in the case of Bitcoin, you cannot do that. Um, so right now, it's working more or as a sort of value. And for me, I mean, I'm completely fine with that. But there are ton of other cryptocurrencies could be. Litecoins could be stable coins that serve a better um, that serve you know a better solution for as a medium of uh, exchange. For example, if you take a look at you know Bitcoin, like you can only process like you know certain number of transactions in any any second or minute. So if we everybody were to adopt it as a medium of exchange, it would it will never work. Plus, there are tax implications associated with it. So if you buy like a Tesla, if you buy even like a cup of coffee. There's a capital gain or loss tax event, and nobody wants to keep track of them. So, so to answer your question, I think Bitcoin, uh, even though we call it a cryptocurrency, I wouldn't look at it as a currency. It's a store of value. It's a hedge against devaluing, you know, U.S. dollars and other assets. And there, there are other cryptocurrencies emerging in the space uh, that could function better as a medium of exchange. That's a great point about the uh, gains and losses on cryptocurrency transactions because the IRS treats crypto as an asset and not as a currency. Theoretically, every transaction, well, not theoretically, practically speaking, every transaction, if you buy a cup of coffee, you're going to have a gain or a loss on that. You're going to have to track it and then report it on your tax return. So 
maybe this is a good transition into the the practical aspects of crypto when it comes to what accountants and bookkeepers have to deal with this year and this tax season. You wrote a great article that I spotted on Forbes, Shihan, and the title is Exiting Robinhood Could Create a Tax Nightmare for Crypto Users. Uh, and I was not aware of this problem. And I think CPAs, accountants, tax preparers should be very aware of this in advising their clients because so many people are using the Robinhood app now to, to buy crypto and stocks. And, and we're, we know that when we buy and trade stocks, we're going to have gains and losses. We're going to have to keep track of that. What is the problem with Robinhood and the way it treats crypto for its users? Yeah, so I actually wrote that article because there's that whole uh, thing going on with game stuff and everybody started hating Robinhood um, and didn't see any good that it has done to the economy and you know bringing millennials into the crypto and other stocks and et cetera. But anyway, to, to answer your question, um, so Robinhood, it allows you to buy you know, certain you know, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and you know, a few others, but it does not let you withdraw it out to your wallet. So in case if you have to exit Robinhood, the only option you have is to sell your crypto cash out and then reinvest that cash in Coinbase or some other crypto exchanges to buy crypto. Um, and a lot of people didn't realize that because in the past couple of weeks, because of that whole incident about GameStop and you know hedge funds and Citadel, that whole stuff, uh, they wanted to exit but the only way they could exit is by cashing out, which created like a huge tax liability. So, yeah, I mean, that's the, the downside of using a tool like Robinhood, even though it makes it so easy for people to buy and sell crypto. But if you were to buy, if you were to hold or buy crypto in like uh, some other exchange like Coinbase or, you know, Gemini or something like that, you can easily withdraw crypto funds out of the exchange to your wallet or any other location without paying any taxes because those exchanges do allow you to withdraw funds out. So... So the article, I wrote that article to kind of um, to show that distinction. And I also suggested some ways so people can save at least uh, some amount of taxes when exiting from Robinhood. Yeah, it, it's something that we should all be aware of, definitely. And, and it's an opportunity, perhaps, for CPAs to advise their clients. Send an email to them saying, hey, just a heads up, if you've got cryptocurrency in Robinhood and you cash it out, that's a, that's a potentially taxable event, right? And, and the reason is that every time, to go back to the point about tracking the gains and losses, every time you exchange crypto for cash, that's a event with a gain or a loss. Yeah. And you got to track that. Yeah. But exactly. if, if you keep your crypto and you're just trading crypto for crypto, right, then do we have to worry about that? So these are the five taxable events. So number one, you have your crypto, uh, you cash it up. So say you bought your Bitcoin as 10000 you're selling it at 30000 you're paying capital gain taxes on 20000 So that's pretty easy. Number two is when you exchange one cryptocurrency to another. Say you have Ethereum, you want to buy Bitcoin. So you're spending Ethereum to buy Bitcoin. Got it. Uh, that's a taxable event. And IRS doesn't care whether you actually receive cash or not. It, it's still taxable. Number three, when you earn cryptocurrency, it could be through wages. It could be uh, staking income, mining income, DeFi income. Number four, when you spend cryptocurrency to buy a cup of coffee or Tesla or something like that, because that's in the eyes of the IRS, it's a disposition event. So that's creates taxable event. And then lastly, if you get like an airdropped or if you go to like a hard fork and receive like a new type of cryptocurrency, that's taxable too. 
once again, IRS doesn't care whether you actually received cash or not. You, you just had to pay taxes because you access some type of wealth and you got to pay taxes. So those are the five situations. So last year, crypto really entered the consciousness of the tax world when the IRS moved the famous crypto question to the front of the 1040, the very top. And the, the question is, at any time during 2020, did you receive, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? So that's when tax pros really started to have these conversations with their clients. And I was a bit shocked to learn just how few holders of cryptocurrency are reporting it on their taxes, are paying tax on their gains, or even just reporting that they own it. Coinbase has 35 million user accounts. But when the IRS searched their database to see how many crypto transactions are being reported on form 8949, it found only 807 individuals reported transactions in 2013. And that has increased to, well, it's actually gone down slightly to 2015. And that's the latest that I have information on it. So 2013 through 2015, like nobody is reporting their crypto transactions. And yet there's millions and millions of people who have cryptocurrency. So what is the current situation? Is are, are people doing this or is this really just a situation where people aren't telling their accountants about it and they're simply saying no to this question and we've got this situation where like millions of people might be like liable for these taxes and, and potentially penalties and who knows, it could be criminal, right? To, to consciously answer this question incorrectly. Yeah, I think the, the the addition of the question was pretty good. I think it's good, like when it comes to like adoption as well, because IRS is pretty much giving free adver- you know advertising and marketing for 150 million you know U.S. taxpayers and tax practitioners. So uh, it's good uh, in overall. And like you said, yeah, the number of returns that have been filed with the IRS with some type of crypto affiliations have been in like you know low thousands or maybe like you know two three thousand the past several years. And those numbers don't make any sense because if you look at the number of people that that are that are being onboarded to these exchanges are like you know skyrocketing. Like last year, especially during COVID, like Binance and Coinbase, they had their record transaction you know history, uh, transaction volumes, and you know uh, new user you know signups. Um, over the years, like we have found out, like there are like four types of crypto tax crypto holders in the U.S. So the type one, these are the people. You know, they have crypto and they do not want to abide by the law. So they're like, okay, I, you know, I have crypto. I'm not paying any damn to the government. So the, the, that's actually the majority, even right now. And number two, these are the people who have crypto, but they're very, they're uneducated. They are never about, you know, crypto tax obligations and et cetera. Uh, and that, that's also a big portion of the U.S. population right now. And number three, these are the people who use these, you know, crypto tax software tools and they reconcile their gains and losses, even though it's like a huge tax, you know, admin burden for them and they're trying to get things done. And lastly, we have seen like very like elite type of, you know, crypto taxpayers, you know, these are the people when, when the market doubled, they, they, you know, people who made like, you know, half a million dollars or so they became millionaires and some people who were millionaires became billionaires. So these are the people who want to be very, very upfront with the IRS they want to expose everything they have to the IRS and they don't want to get into trouble with the IRS because they're like, okay, I made money, here's my taxes. Um, so those are the four categories of crypto tax users that, that we have today. 
Uh, but just to summarize, but most of the people, even today, despite having that question on page one, most of the people, they're like, I, I don't want to pay my taxes because, you know, the government doesn't know. And it's not a currency or an asset which is backed up by the government. And I'm not paying my fair share of taxes, but pretty sure those people will face some consequences in the future, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sean Stein-Smith, what is the risk to tax preparers when it comes to this? Their clients are obviously not complying or not telling the truth, millions of them potentially, and we're preparing these returns. Like, What do we have to worry about, if anything? So probably the, the obvious risk off the top is that we prepare and then turn in a incorrect, incomplete, wrong 1040, right? And so then, and so then we, as a you know, tax prep individual firm, are then on the hook for you know for uh, damages, fees, fines, all the rest. And that's probably the the biggest and most obvious risk off the top. Of that if you had clients that were buying Bitcoin, selling Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin with Ether, all the rest, right? But actually, that's probably the most obvious risk. And and that's probably the the uh, risk that all of us are sort of on top of, right? Crypto is in the air, in the ether, and is a uh, hot topic right now. So I would argue personally that anybody who's in the tax prep area to any capacity is pretty much on top of that risk with the very least being aware of it. What personally I think is probably the more under the radar risk is that to echo a earlier comment made that Bitcoin is the headline driver, but there are hundreds, thousands of other coins, tokens out there, and they're all starting to actually take different forms. There are asset-backed coins uh, pegged or stabilized by the dollar, gold, or the rest. And so all of those have grown incredibly fast during 2019, 2020, but haven't really been talked about to the to the same level as Bitcoin tax issues, right? And so while on on the paper or in concept, if you have this this um, coin, right, the SSS coin, backed on a one to one basis by the U.S. dollar, great. That has no bearing on how it's treated from a income tax angle. I can say it's it's worth one U.S. dollar. I can use it, and there can be external vendors. Who actually take it as equal to one U.S. dollar? That that has no impact on the income tax angle, and so then all of that opens up this 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 whole other area where, okay, fine. Even though it's on the books, and I can prove that it's linked on a one-to-one basis, and it's worth the equivalent of one U.S. dollar, I'm going to still owe either a gain, loss, or at the very least have a tax obligation. To then take into account how many currency units of this coin I actually paid for this other good or other service with. Because even though there are all different types of cryptocurrencies, they are all treated as income taxable property as per the IRS. And you know, that's a major, major headwind. And that's probably the other risk out there, right? Off the top, if you have current clients that are either not truthful partially truthful or 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 they just aren't aware of the income tax obligation. All of us are, right? Sheehan, myself, you and your audience are now up to date on this, right? But the overall bulk of the US population is not talking 
blockchain and crypto every day. Shocking, I know. But there is still that sort of expectation and that educational gap that's obviously a opportunity for us, but it can also accidentally end up with, with all of us getting into trouble, as was I think, reinforced both in the summer of 2019 and during 2020, the the IRS has really upped its uh, upped its its uh, actual game, and was in the process of basically contacting taxpayers directly with a with a sort of tiered angle, right? Saying, "Hey, you, hey, you owe taxes, maybe call us," and then all the way up to, "Hey, on our records, we know you owe us a a large amount of taxes, pay up, or we aren't going to ask you." Again, nicely. So, you know, there is a good chunk of risk out there, obviously, in terms of compliance and doing it correctly. But but all of that also opens up opportunities, right? For firms like Sheehan's and other firms out there to be able to add that transparency, education, and to be able to inform both the tax prep individuals and firms and their external customers. But all of that is now increasingly complicated by this whole rise of the sort of asset backed coin, be it a tokenized asset, uh, privately issued coin or token, or some other new iteration of it. So all of that is adding that extra layer of complication that the IRS has not caught up with, but that all of us out, out there, out here right now, are starting to talk about, think about, and to hopefully try to fix. So it sounds like from a practitioner perspective, cryptocurrency is an opportunity It's an opportunity to educate our clients, to add new services, to help get them compliant. Let's talk now about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and the future, where it's going. Its value, perhaps, would be a good place to start. Is is Bitcoin a bubble? I don't think it is a bubble. I think slowly, you know, people are realizing the, the true value of Bitcoin, you know, what it stands for. And situations like, you know, COVID and, you know, you know, the government printing money and et cetera, those things kind of have accelerated uh, the rate that people understand Bitcoin and 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 also realizing, okay, the, the point of having something like Bitcoin in the in the future. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, I wouldn't focus on these, you know, short-term, you know, price, um, you know, fluctuations. I mean, Tomorrow, Bitcoin, I mean, right now, at the date of this recording, the Bitcoin is hovering around 50 grand, but tomorrow it could go down to 30 or even 20. But if you zoom out and if you expand your time horizon to 10, 15 years, like it, it's, it's, gonna, it's going up. So if you're in for the long run, uh, it's, it's a good asset class to be an investor. Of. Well, that's the thing that I have a hard time understanding is this idea that it's just going to go up. What is it going to go up to, and what are the fundamentals underlying any price target? Because we've discussed that cryptocurrency right now is not a great medium of exchange. It's in many ways not a particularly good store of value either. It's not stable. Yes, it's going up, but it could just as easily go down. We compare it to other things like gold. Of course, that's the classic. At least with gold, I can melt it down and make something out of it. Or with art, I can display it on my wall. There's like lots of other stores of value that are quite good and have a limited supply. It's not like people are going to make more Monets. We we do mine more gold, but not in significant quantities. So 
you know, I just have a hard time understanding why is Bitcoin worth anything? You know, if it's not going to replace money when it comes to payments, then it's just uh, it's 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 more imaginary in many ways than fiat money. Uh, and and I guess the thing that has made me question this more than ever is reading about how India is banning cryptocurrency. This is a true threat to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is the possibility that governments could outlaw it, then making it really difficult to use mm-hmm. and as a store of value. Well, right? I mean, because like it, like let's say the United States government said that you know we're going to make Bitcoin illegal. All of these U.S. institutions and citizens have to liquidate their Bitcoin holdings, just causing the price to plummet. I mean, that could be what sets off a run on Bitcoin, right? Someday. I see it as a great buying opportunity, in my opinion. Yeah. I would sort of push back a little bit on that, Blake. We are currently talking about trying to inject $1.9 trillion into the U.S. economic sector, right? Right, right. After, after passing $900 billion back before the holidays and then passing a couple other trillion dollars back in March. Now, obviously, all of these efforts are was needed right now because of the economic damage. Fine. So you have that, you have quantitative easing, and you have interest rates being kept down to zero. Or in Western Europe, Japan, some other areas of the world, below zero. So, I mean, where else are these asset managers, are those large institutions going to be able to earn a rate of return on their funds? And I know that, you know, hedge funds, private equity, Wall Street are the, you know, bad guys. But actually, there's this whole other angle, right? These are large institutional players, BlackRock, Blackstone, JP Morgan, Fidelity, BNY Mellon, they actually manage and they're on the hook for basically, right? For pension plans, TIAA craft plans, you know, for 01k plans, those large institutional players are those uh, exact same buckets of capital and assets that millions of us are going to uh, rely on after we stop working. And so it's a real catch catch 22 here, I think, right? Because um, to acknowledge your earlier point, Blake, right? There, there are no cash flows, dividends, assets that are underpinning Bitcoin or the bulk of uh, various crypto assets. Fine. That is correct. I could also argue Netflix, Tesla, and Amazon up until recently were wildly overvalued for years and years and years. And they actually still are, right? The S&P 500 is really at a stretched price multiple right now, but that's fine because it's equities, right? And all of us understand that. And those exact same institutional players that are allocating capital into Bitcoin, that those, uh, those assets and funds have to come out of other areas. I would argue personally also, that as these big institutional players right here uh, in the U.S. and overseas move into buying Bitcoin, it's going to be awfully tough to then all of a sudden say, can't do it anymore. Right, now, right. I so do know the, that, the that, institutional that players yeah, are trying to sort of, by default, you know, force the hand of the policymakers to help bring Bitcoin more into the mainstream. Got it. So mainstream Wall Street getting into crypto and Bitcoin protects it from a government because these are powerful players in politics, mm-hmm. right? So sure. I understand that. I guess 
you know, what, what I still have trouble comprehending is how we can even set a price target on Bitcoin, how we can say it's going to go to six figures. It's going to go to, I've seen some folks saying, oh, it'll, it'll be half a million per Bitcoin someday. It just seems like we're pulling numbers out of a hat. And to your point about stimulus, we could also argue that it's stimulus that is pushing up the price of Bitcoin. It's the same absolutely. thing. That yeah, is f- absolutely right. Yeah. Right, right. So because we have, we're, we're awash in money, there's a whole class of people in the United States who have managed to keep their jobs during the pandemic, but have been getting stimulus checks and don't have anywhere to spend all the money they would have spent on travel and leisure. And are so, so they're dumping money into investments and they're having fun on the stock market using their Robinhood account. And they're buying crypto with the Square Cash app. And that is increasing the, the price of these speculative assets. And that's what GameStop is, right? Like that's, it's just a speculative asset. There's no underlying fundamentals behind any of that. Same thing potentially with Bitcoin. Like why is, why is Bitcoin any different? I can't use it uh, uh, to pay anybody to buy anything really. And it's certainly not going to ever be any better than the payment systems we have now because it's slow and expensive. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's only a great store of value as long as it continues to go up. And we all know that eventually what goes up must come down when it comes to a bubble, if that's the only reason that it has value, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I remember living through the mortgage crisis and people at one point thought that home prices couldn't go down. I was there, yeah. It's as insane as it sounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, I, I just feel like a crash is inevitable. A giant crash in the the price of a Bitcoin in particular and and I guess the thing that makes me think that, tell me if I'm wrong, is that the main value of Bitcoin right now is that it has a limited supply. Only, what, 21 million Bitcoins can ever be mined. So buying Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation and fiat currency, right? Because it's limited, like gold. Um, but that's only Bitcoin. Anyone can create a cryptocurrency. So even if crypto is the future and everyone does end up having crypto, why is it going to be Bitcoin when Bitcoin is like the inferior cryptocurrency? Like the only reason that it has value is because it was the first one and that's what people are using, but it could easily become anything else. So I, so I think you raise a excellent point there, Blake. And ultimately I do not think personally that the Bitcoin is going to ever take over as a medium of doing business, right. For a mainstream use. I just don't think that it has the capacity and also now, as these large players buy up uh, more and more Bitcoin, that's going to make it harder for it to be used as a medium of doing business. If there aren't as many of them out there, because there is that that hard cap, it's going to be awfully tough to then use it as a medium of doing business. One. Two, right? There's this whole push, I think, towards, to your point, there are thousands of coins and tokens out there. That is a great opportunity, I think, for some different cryptocurrencies to be used for different use use uh, cases, right? There are high growth equities. There are defensive equities, dividend equities. <laughs> ETFs are, are out there by the hundreds, thousands, focused on different areas, I would argue. And I've been arguing that, that sort of, that's the way that, that the crypto asset space will ultimately go, right? There are going to be cryptos used for transactions, and there are going to be cryptos that are used more as hedges investments, bets on future applications. So I'm an index fund guy. I'm a passive investor. Like that's my philosophy. And you could probably tell that from the way I'm a little bit 
skeptical <laughs> of, of individual investments like Bitcoin. So maybe you can educate me on this. Is it possible for a guy like me to invest in an index fund or a basket of cryptocurrencies these days? Like if I wanted to just invest in the concept of crypto, can I do that rather than picking a coin? So I would say, and then I will toss it to Sheehan, uh, but I would say that currently right now, there are no Bitcoin or crypto ETFs approved here as of yet. And the only kind of products like that are trusts that are built just around Bitcoin. So to answer that actual question, there is no way as of right now to invest in a ETF or, or an index or a basket of cryptocurrencies. But as I had mentioned earlier, the actual first one was just approved today in Canada. So it's on its way. Yeah. And like, I think you, you can get exposure to Bitcoin through, you know, grayscale Bitcoin funds. So it's just a matter of just kind of, kind of getting their stocks. Or you could also invest in other corporations that have transferred some of their cash into crypto. It could be MicroStrategy, could be Square, Tesla. And thirdly, uh, I mean, this, you had to be a little bit technical. Like there are some protocols and the, you know, this call called this decentralized finance. So you can literally create your own token basket. Uh, there are protocols like balancers. So you pretty much you can customize your uh, tokens and then you can invest in that one ETF that you create. And, you know, that's kind of tied to a bunch of tokens that's inside it. What do you guys think is the future of all of this? Like, where are we going to go over the next decade? I think, like, Bitcoin's been around for how long now? It's been quite a while, right? We're like a... More than a decade. Yeah, more than a decade. Since 2008, yeah. Okay, so since 2008, we've come pretty far. I mean, this is a real turning point where we've got, you know, BNY Mellon now going to you know, be a custodian for crypto. I think that this is like, to me, as as an observer the point where it has gone mainstream. Tesla putting in 1.5 billion of its 20 billion in cash into crypto. That's a big move, right? So where do we go from here? Uh, so just to answer your question earlier, Blake, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't try to kind of figure out, okay, what the Bitcoin price is going to be in 10 years or 15 years time of thing, because I don't think anybody can predict it because it's a matter of supply and demand and then the narrative at that point of time and then the perception that people have towards Bitcoin. Um, what I would do is, you know, if you have some amount of money that you you don't mind losing, just expose that capital into Bitcoin and, and then just see where you are in, in five years. And if you are anybody who joined Bitcoin, like in the next 10 years, they're, they're, they're up, like, you know, they have made significant amount of gains. So I don't, I haven't seen anybody losing money if they were kept that money, uh, you know, throughout all those years. Um, so in the future, I think, yeah, there are some good signs when it comes to mass adoption, these, you know, big names, you know, big CEOs coming into the space. But I, I think it's still, as Dr. Sean mentioned, it's still a niche subject when you talk about the entire world. So I think there's a lot more to, to be done when it comes to adoption. I mean, it seems like the the big thing, Shihan, that would that would make a huge difference would be if a cryptocurrency became a standard method of payment to rival the current payment rails that we all use as consumers. And I have heard or read about Visa and MasterCard talking about how they're going to get into this. Do you think that in 10 years, using crypto to pay for something will be as easy as it is now to swipe a credit card? Like, or are you, are you more on the side of crypto as like a, a store of value? Like what is, what do you see it being 
use for on a on a regular basis i guess i mean is my question again you're welcome to spend bitcoin but uh like if you take it for example paypal like it's so easy to pay somebody like a vendor through through crypto so it's already happening and then uh mastercard you know announced their their story and then from square like you can pay you know anybody some bitcoin or litecoin or anything so it's easy to to make payments through through crypto but like I wouldn't spend Bitcoin. That's my personal thing because I think it works more as a store of value. Uh, but there are the ton of you know cryptocurrencies that, especially stable coins, which you can spend, uh, and then you don't have to pay that you know typical two point nine nine percent you know transaction processing fees. So that's the advantage. And stable coins are cryptocurrencies that are pegged to the U.S. dollar or any fiat currency, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is that. I can buy a stable coin and I'm not going to be subject to the volatility that we have like with Bitcoin, which is, I, th- I think that has presented a problem for uh, merchants that accept it, like Overstock, for instance. It, it does. But at the same time, you know, if you're accepting crypto, like, you know, you're okay with that volatility because you have a longer term time horizon. Uh, I mean, same thing that could happen to Tesla. And if, if I'm paying, you know, for Tesla car, I mean, sometimes they could be losing, sometimes they could be winning. But if you expand your time horizon to like five, 10 or 20 years, they have the narrative that it's going to go up. So they're going to win someday. So, so I'm going to turn this question over to you, Dr. Sean Steinsmith. Where do you see the world of crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of it headed over the next decade? What I would say is that over the next decade, there's going to be quite a bit of, what's the right way to put this, um, shaking out of the coins and the tokens that, to your point, don't really have a true sort of business case, right? I mean, it's important to keep in mind that the ICO bubble of 2017, 2018 was only in 2017 and 2018. And a big chunk of those ICOs, initial coin offerings, turned out to be duds frauds, you know, fake companies, all the rest. And so I would say that really over over the next decade, so then if so then if we're talking about 2030, 2031, right, there's going to be a big sort of reckoning in the blockchain, uh, blockchain crypto asset space in terms of okay, fine, what is this actually being put to use for? Is it being used for payments with a dollar backed privately issued coin or token? Have the governments moved in with their own central bank? digital currencies to sort of tokenize the the uh, the dollar or as they're doing in uh, mainland China right now, basically issuing a crypto yuan hybrid type tool. And then all of the other sort of big brother uh, things that go with that. And then ultimately, ultimately, though, what's the case of business use for actually blockchain, right? Because right now at JP Morgan, right, they have their own blockchain payments arm with, I think, a couple hundred uh, folks working there. And they've actually carved it off into its own unit inside the company. And they are uh, currently forecasting to have a to actually earn a profit on that blockchain crypto payments business in 2021. And so there, I think, is really the, the big upside. And ultimately, this sort of crypto development, be it Bitcoin or other ones. So I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin is going to be on its own, on its own island, in its own uh, sort of spot as the OG crypto, the biggest, baddest, 
headline one out there. And so that's going to be more treated, I believe, as a store of actual value, as a hedge against quantitative easing, or as a or as a 21st version of gold as a commodity hedge. But then ultimately, then the real sort of uh, payment side of it is, is it going to take off with the only question being, is it going to be a public-private partnership between private entities and actual countries, or are individual nations going to roll out their own crypto euro, crypto dollar, all the rest? And then over here, to blockchain, which actually underpins this entire conversation, don't forget, I think that blockchain is already impacting more of our lives than we actually realize, right? Forbes has their uh, blockchain 50 list uh, every single year. And there are firms all over the world in every economic business that are actually using blockchain right now. And so it's important, I think, to uh, really highlight going forward that Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain are honestly going to evolve in three separate areas going forward. But overall, I would say that in 2030, crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain are going to be more part of our everyday lives than we can even estimate right now. Yeah. And one thing that we didn't talk about in, at all, which you mentioned there is the smart contracts potential in blockchain, which I, I'm i really bullish on that. You know, I'm, I may be a skeptic when it comes to cryptocurrency, but there's there's a lot of inefficiency in the way that we distribute money, especially on platforms like Xbox, for instance. And Microsoft is working with EY on a way to automatically distribute royalties through a smart contract thing. So that's that's really neat. And I'd love to have you both on to talk more about blockchain in general sometime. But for the moment, we're out of time. I want to thank you both so much for joining me today. This was I learned a lot. This was really informative. Dr. Sean Stein-Smith, if people want to follow you online, connect with you, see what you're up to, where, where can they do that? I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, at Sean Stein-Smith. And Shihan Chandrasekhar, where can people learn more about what you're up to? I would say mostly Twitter. Uh, my handle is at the crypto CPA, so it's pretty easy to find. Um, yeah, thanks for having us, Blake. Be sure to trademark that if you haven't. I am <laughs> I am at Blake T. Oliver. You can find me on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Uh, and hope to see you both around sometime soon. Thanks for joining me. All right, thank you. Thank you.